first-time managers? This one's for you. In this episode, Samantha Koo is back to talk about compassionate feedback, mentorship, and the single most transformative choice she's made in her career to date. Welcome to Figuring It Out, the modern millennial playbook for life in our 20s and 30s. I'm your host, Melissa Guller, and each week we'll explore a new topic on work, relationships, lifestyle, and more. Now, most of us come into our first management role through a promotion or a job well done as a team member. But when we become managers for the first time, we're typically thrown right into the deep end and expected to swim. Few new managers receive formal training through their employer, which means, of course, that few new managers receive formal training, period. So how do we know where to begin? What sets those great managers apart from the pack? I feel strongly about educating new managers as a personal mission, which is why I have an entire online course called What Great Managers Do Differently, linked in the show notes. But today, I'm excited to have Samantha Koo from fintech startup Square Capital back with us to offer management advice and tips. By the end of this episode, we'll learn why it's so important for managers to give their direct reports regular feedback. If the thought of sharing feedback terrifies you, don't worry, we'll walk you through a helpful framework to get started. And we'll share how avoiding feedback hurts your employees more than direct feedback ever could. We'll also share some common misconceptions about mentorship. And we'll talk about how mentors can have a positive influence on your career. Lastly, Samantha will share more about how hiring a career coach has transformed her career and who else could benefit from a career coach themselves. Let's start by reintroducing Samantha. Samantha Koo is the head of operations for Square Capital, the lending arm of Square Inc. Although Square started with a simple white credit card reader, today they help sellers of all sizes start, run, and grow their businesses. After starting her career in banking, Samantha transitioned to Square in 2015 and built their operations team from the ground up. She currently leads a team of over 30 employees across three offices in San Francisco, New York, and Henderson. And alongside her team, Samantha is responsible for operational strategies for loan lifecycle across all products, including underwriting, servicing, and collections. Now, last week, we talked about the differences Samantha had noticed between corporate culture and startup culture. But this week, we're shifting to talk about first-time managers. And we're going to start by talking a little bit about feedback. So now that you've had, this is one example, you said you mentioned uh, working with a career coach and something I remember from earlier, you mentioned you had this manager who only cared about the numbers and, you know, really was only outcomes focused, but it seems like you've done a lot of work since then to have a much different management style. And so you're leading this massive team of, I think, 30 plus people. You built this team from the ground up. So I would love to hear more about that. How did you start building this team? Uh, Yeah, definitely. Um, So it was 
pretty uh, serendipitous. I was, it kind of feels like I was in the right place at the right time. Um, so I joined Square uh, not as a manager. I joined um, just as the only operations agent and had to build out all of our processes and systems. Um, this was about almost three years ago. And um, and so we needed to scale. The business was growing. And so I had a track record of getting things done uh, with very little direction. So I was handed a team of four, um, who none of who I recruited directly. They were all internal. And as the business grew uh, and we needed to continue scaling, um, I was able to promote from within the same way that I was promoted. And so I think it really had to do with just showing you're, you're capable of doing the job before you actually have the job. So since then, two of the original team members now lead functions within my team, and another is a product manager. Um, and we've built and hired a team that share the same dedication, I think, to our, our mission of financial inclusion. And um, despite how experienced or smart they are, they really just have a no-job-too-small attitude. Um, and so we've grown our business across the U.S. and wanted to have um, service on all time zones. So that's why we um, expanded to New York. Do you know what I love about what you mentioned too, with the no job too small attitude? Um, You mentioned even just being in the right place at the right time for this job and people noticing that you were working hard. I think it's easy for a lot of us to want to aim for, you know, the big job, the running our own business, whatever that end goal is, which I think is wonderful to have goals. But I also think it's really important to just have a very opportunistic kind of outlook and just trust that if you work hard and you see opportunities and you take them, then good things will build from there. I totally agree. And I think that if if you're able to recognize every experience as a learning opportunity, then that in itself will help you grow organically. Yeah, I love that. I think at least I feel this way. I get very caught up sometimes worrying about where I'm going and then try to feel a little bit more present about just acknowledging that if what I'm working on right now is motivating me and if I'm putting in a lot of hard work and it feels like I'm building something meaningful, then that's all I need to be worrying about, that I'm in the right place and things will work out over time. Absolutely agree. So now that you've had this team that you've been building out over the years, I'd love to know what are some of the best management lessons that you've learned as you've developed this team? Yeah, I think it's been a, an amazing ride, um, especially because I, I've had the privilege of working with really, really motivated, smart people. Um, so I innately just have a, an extreme desire to want to be liked. And I think this resulted in an earlier management style that um, over-indexed on support and praise, but I wasn't really doing anyone a service by just being nice. A lot of my directs were early grads or for a second job out of school. So they needed more direction and more support. And um, and I really think I was falling short on, on giving feedback. Um, so, so I had one direct of mine who stayed with us for over a year. And during that time, there were a lot of big mistakes that cost a lot of time from many people to fix and even money for the company. And this happened over and over and was really, it was the result of behavior and sloppiness and just lack of detail. And my problem was that I really liked this direct and I knew she liked me too. We had a great relationship. So I kept encouraging her to just get it right the next time. Don't stress. This can happen to anybody. Um, I really, I minimized the severity of her performance and just emphasized how much she brought to the team culturally. And the result of that was continued sloppy behavior and it didn't change. Um, And probably it was worse that it actually lowered the standard of excellence for the rest of the team. 
And um, not surprisingly, uh, my director wasn't happy either because no one likes being bad at their job. And so um, we ended up developing an informal performance improvement plan or a PIP. And since um, she didn't want this on the record um, for her at the company, and at the end of the period, um, she decided to leave the company on good terms. But I think what I really learned from this experience is that transparency is super, super important. And feedback really is a gift. It doesn't need to be offensive. Um, if you do it early, if you do it right, then you're, the person who's getting your feedback actually feels valued and cared for because you care enough to go out of your way to, to coach them on how they can improve. Um, and just be respectful, be generous, and in that you give them the benefit of doubt in their intentions. But at the end of the day, we all need to improve. I think that's so important. And I think um, the way you phrase it was that it's not doing anybody a service to want to be liked or just to give out this like regular sense of praise. It is a gift to give criticism and it's showing that you care enough to take notice of something that could be improved. I don't think that's how many of us were taught about giving critique or even receiving it and reframing it in this very positive, caring way, I think is so important. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that um, while it might be hard for some people to receive initially, if you can keep talking about it and keep the dialogue going and also address it early so that no one's ever blindsided, it really goes a long way with your relationship. Mm -hmm. So in addition to addressing it early and just being very transparent, is there any advice that you would give somebody who's feeling hesitant about giving feedback or a critique to somebody? I think caring really personally is just the most important thing, first and foremost. Um, I'm reading this book right now called Radical Candor. And um, an example that they give about giving feedback that might be difficult to hear is actually as simple as um, walking out of the bathroom and someone's flies down. And it's embarrassing for you to say. It's embarrassing for that person to hear. But if you don't say something, that person walks away and 10 more people see it. But there's a way that you can deliver it that's just very caring. You can say, um, um, hey, I just wanted to let you know that your fly is down. Um, I'm super embarrassed when that happens. And I know that I um, hate hearing that too, but I hope it's okay that I said that. So just thinking about um, this person as an individual, really showing that you care personally and making sure your feedback is super clearly delivered. Um, I think that will really resonate. That's a great example. And I think it ties back to when you were giving a direct report feedback if it doesn't come from you, the manager, the person helping guide them on this career journey, like truly, who is it going to come from? Exactly. And that's, I think, great tips for early managers in particular, because the first time you become a manager, this might be a new dynamic for somebody to be dealing with. But not only can you be giving feedback, but in fact, you are empowered to, and it's something that is of service to somebody else. Right. Along the same lines of thinking about management and the way that you work with your team, I'm curious to hear, how do you keep your team members motivated? People are the most motivated when they feel like what they're doing has meaning and impact. And so I've been really successful with my team, um, just empowering them to do their work, setting them up so that they can succeed, but they can also fail because they own this project completely. Um, so it can be as little as giving um, a team member some a project to work on and sending the results directly to a senior manager rather than having them go through you for it or having that team member present to that senior manager directly 
Um, you don't even need to be in the room or even giving team members the authority to make uh, critical decisions. Um, I think people just feel more motivated because they feel like this really belongs to them and they can see something all the way to the end and feel that sort of entrepreneurship that they're looking for. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of Dan Pink's book, Drive. And he talks about what people are really looking for is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So the old tricks about the, you know, carrot and the stick, the classic, I'll dangle this bonus in front of you. And if you hit this goal, thinking that money would motivate people is antiquated. What people really want is they want to feel like they have autonomy, they have ownership over something, they have mastery, a sense of getting better and gradually improving over time, and they feel like they have a purpose and that the work that they're doing matters. I completely agree. I'll throw, I know we've mentioned a couple of books now, so I'll put some links to those um, in the show notes for anybody who wants to check those out later. Are there any actions that you wish that more of today's CEOs or top business leaders would be taking? Yeah, I think the more senior you become, the farther away from the actual day-to-day you are. So having uh, CEOs or business leaders be really, really involved from bottom up, um, taking the time maybe once a year to shadow your support team or really hear where what your customers are saying or where the friction points are at every level, um, because they're at the top for a reason. They've built this career, being able to identify where the inefficiencies are and where a value should be added. And a lot of that insight is being lost um, just because they're so far removed from what's going on. I don't think that's something many people think about until they are in a leadership position. Because when you're in, let's say, a more entry level or a starting role, the perspective that you have on the company or even dealing directly with customers is very different from what a senior leader might see. And both of your roles are equally important to the company, but your different vantage points kind of allow you to help in very different ways. Completely. I like the advice about shadowing somebody. I'd be curious to see too, if somebody who was more entry level shadowed a senior leader for a day to get both perspectives. Yeah, that's super interesting, especially for someone like on a support team who really hear they're they have the closest pulse to how customers are feeling. So if something that um, our business leaders are doing that isn't in the best interest of our customers, we should address those things right away. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great suggestion just to get conversation started. That kind of seems mm-hmm. like a nice theme. It's just the more conversation that you can have, the better everybody probably understands each other. Right. Absolutely. I think this is a good opportunity to transition into talking a little bit more about your personal career growth, because I think it's important for us to talk about the fact that you should be proactive in a career and careers don't just happen to you. It's something that you have to make choices about. So I'm curious to hear, what do you personally do to continue growing and developing? Uh, I cannot emphasize enough how much a career coach is really, really helpful. Um, so the woman I work with, Terry, she um, she is so good at really recognizing what I want to say and um, and how I should say it. And she really promotes me to be my best self. Um, and I think just having someone to confide in of how you're really feeling and um, and recommend the right, um, I guess, the right methods or suggestions for strategies of how to really unpack what you're trying to do. Um, it's it's such an art form, and it's really interesting. 
Um, and then just personally, I think the things that I want to continue to work on are, um, and probably will continue to work on for the rest of my career, um, are just confidence and, and the art of feedback. Mm -hmm. The career coach suggestion I think is really great because I don't know how many people have ever considered hiring a career coach. So can you tell us more just about what is that like and what kind of topics do you cover? Yeah, definitely. So it does vary, I think, between um, uh, every individual for every experience, because some people do have a very structured uh, path of what they want to accomplish, and they know exactly where their um, their development areas are and what they want to work on. Um, myself, personally, I almost treat Terry as, uh, as my weekly therapist. Um, I go through what I'm trying to work on, the difficult conversations I'm having each week, and what those common themes are that I keep running into or those roadblocks. Um, recently, I've been working on managing up, which um, while I think I, I'm good at identifying my development areas for managing my own team, I still definitely get stuck with managing people in authority positions so that my voice doesn't get lost in the hierarchy. Um, so I think having someone there kind of promoting your confidence, calling you out when you're not being reasonable or when you're not looking in the best interest of yourself or your career or even your colleagues has been really helpful. I think the comparison to a therapist session is great because that's somebody that you go to to help you sort through either your emotions or something that you've been dealing with. And a career coach, similarly, they are trained to help people deal with exactly this in the way that maybe well-intentioned friends and family may not have a job similar to yours, may not be able to give you the kind of really um, specific feedback, helpful feedback that a career coach could. Right. And I think they also just have no incentive to to steer you any direction. So that's just, mm -hmm. it's except of how to be your best self. So that's super helpful. Absolutely. And I'm sure something about them being a third party is useful for both of you too. Right. Exactly. What about any professional mentors that you have? I'm curious, uh, both if you have any and how those relationships have changed over time. Yeah. So, um, so I have one, uh, mentor who I chat with. So, um, I think mentorship is really interesting because sometimes people think that a mentor is someone that you need to have a regular cadence with. And if you don't check in with that person, um, just even when you don't have anything going on, that um, that's a concern, it's not really a mentor. Um, so I have one person that I'll, um, always admire and really keep in touch with from Citibank. She was a relationship manager who, um, is, was just, when I joined City fresh out of school, I was in such awe of this woman. She, um, built a career in finance also, um, was an immigrant from Belgium, um, and never married, never had children, just dedicated her entire life to her career and always gave me such very pointed advice, even if it wasn't super, super, I, um, generous or kind sometimes, but very, very direct. And that's, I think what I really needed at that time. Um, so we chat probably once a year, if that, and, um, but I think the lessons that she gave me, um, I really will always carry with me. And then, um, someone that I really admire, the head of my group. Um, her, so her name's Jackie Reeses, and she has just been such a great force um, and person to emulate. She is just unapologetic. She has this style where she'll say whatever is on her mind, but she's 
so experienced and so smart that what she says is just carries so much weight. Um, and she's also so, um, I think she's so kind. She knows everyone in her org top down. She manages, um, HR at Square as well as Capital. And she has so many people uh, who report to her, but she's always around for our newest grad to sit down with her for a one-on-one to just get her feedback on how she's perceiving um, how they've been presenting themselves or how their work is. So that sort of uh, really flat organization mindset, despite her extensive career, is really inspiring. It seems like there's a lot of... um open communication and the themes about giving feedback and these two women that you're in touch with. And I also really like that you mentioned that a mentor doesn't have to be somebody that you meet with all the time. I wonder if that's a misconception is that it has to be somebody that you have this regular cadence with. But if it's anybody who is sharing any insight with you, who you feel you have a valuable relationship with and are learning from, I mean, what else could you ask for? Exactly. I do think that on the mentorship topic, it seems like maybe not everybody has this thought. It seems like it has to be this very formal thing where you find somebody that you want to mentor you and then you approach them and you say, will you be my mentor? And what I liked about your two examples is that these are just women that you were working with, you built up a relationship with, and then you just continued to foster that relationship with over time. Right. Yeah. I think that's um, completely right. Someone that you approach and ask to be their mentor, that's more of a career coach I see because it's its less transactional. Of course, everyone wants to be able to give back because they've had those mentors in their life, but no one has the time to meet with you monthly or weekly. Um, so, so having those coming to people with looking for real guidance on experiences that they likely have also had, I think resonates with um, senior mentors more than it would if you just are looking for someone to be there if you need something. That's a great distinction that if you're looking for regular coaching, a career coach is probably what you're looking for versus a mentor who is somebody you've probably just happened into a relationship with over time. And they're not going to be the one to call you up every week and hold you accountable or give you regular feedback in the way that a coach would. Right. That's a really great distinction and not one that I've heard before. All right, next up, what is one book, a website, a product, app, anything that you would recommend? Yeah, so right now I'm reading uh, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. It's it's pretty short, so it's a really easy read to do. And um, it's meant to find the sweet spot between what she calls ruinous empathy, where you're just being overly nice and not giving any feedback, to obnoxious aggression, where you're not caring at all about the person. Um, so it's finding the balance between really caring personally and um, and delivering very clearly. And it's meant to be for managers, but I've actually found it super useful um, just even in conversation with my peers and my own managers as well. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. I haven't read it, but I do know a lot of peers who endorse it as well. And it seems to me like one of the major takeaways they've noticed is that it separates the tone and the delivery and the kindness behind maybe the intent with you can't just be nice and say nothing. So it's separating maybe to put it in a different way. This is going to get cut, but in any case, <laughs> it seems like like separating the um the tone that you have from the intention and the content. Right, completely. What is something that you wish more people knew? 
So something that I've been working on myself is actually how to clear out the story of someone when you're faced with uh, maybe making a decision about them or how to react to something. Um, so with my theme of managing up, um, my manager right now, I think we have this very, um, not it's it's been a, an interesting seven months of when he joined where I, um, I think he does have a lot that needs to be developed or improved upon and he knows it as well. So he asked me for feedback on what he needs to work on. Um, and so um, I'm trying to go into that conversation with clearing out the story that I already know about him the last seven months of this is what I think his intent was. Um, and so going in with a fresh perspective of, of these are the facts and these are, and because of that, this is how we've perceived it. Um, and I hope that if people are, if I do ask someone to do the same for me, people do clear out that story for me too. I think that's such a great tip to kind of clear out. I like how you phrased it to clear out the story of what you had thought previously to give both of you a clean slate opportunity. Right, exactly. This week, we have a try it out challenge or something small you can try on your own time at home. Now, this challenge is actually a sneak peek into my online course, What Great Managers Do Differently. And specifically, it's the section where we talk about how to give corrective feedback to an employee. Although this is intended for direct reports, I also think that the spirit of the script can be modified to work for anyone in your life. So here's how it works. As you know, it can be difficult to give corrective feedback to an employee or to initiate tough, potentially emotional conversations. So what I found can be helpful is to think of a script or a framework to walk through the conversation. So broadly, there are two major steps. Step one is that you'll describe what you saw and felt. And then in step two, you'll propose a solution. So here's the framework. In step one, you'll start by describing the facts. Then you'll say, this makes me feel blank because blank. And you'll wrap by describing the impact on your team. So let me share an example. Let's say you have a great new account manager and they hit every deadline, they give great updates on your team's weekly call, and although you think that things are going smoothly, you're surprised to find that a few clients have started emailing you to ask why their projects are running so behind. So something isn't adding up, and you know you need to have a tough conversation with your account manager. Step one for you in the conversation is to describe what you see and feel. So first, you'll describe the facts and say, hey, Some of your clients have shared concerns that their projects are falling behind schedule. Next, you'll describe how that makes you personally feel. So you might say, this makes me feel confused because I know you update our team each week about your client projects, so I'm wondering why your clients don't feel as informed. You'll wrap your first section by describing the impact on the team or your customer. So you might say, Our clients are our top priority, and if they're feeling confused or concerned, then we risk losing their trust and their business. Now, something important I like to point out about this step is that you are only describing the facts and the way that you feel. Importantly, what isn't happening is that you are not telling your employee how they feel. That's a key to management that I've found time and time again. You can't tell people how they feel because you don't really know. 
All you have are the facts and the way that you feel. So that's all you'll offer in step one. Now, at the step two phase, this is where you start proposing a solution. So you'll want to propose a solution and then you'll explain the reason for the solution. And the phrase that you'll end on that has so much power is you'll say, what do you think? This puts it back in your employee's court and it clearly opens this piece of feedback as a conversation instead of just you telling them what to do. So back to our account manager example, to propose a solution, I might say, I'd like for you to try sharing a weekly status update email with the client at the end of each week, even if there are no major updates. To explain, I might say that I believe the root cause of this issue isn't that your projects are behind, but rather that your clients are starting to feel neglected. Your projects are pacing perfectly, I might say, but Our clients may assume that no communication from us means they've been pushed to the side. So if we can reassure them regularly that their projects are on track, I think they'll feel much better. And I'll end by saying, what do you think? Again, this now gives my employee the opportunity to share what they've been feeling, to share what they think about my proposed solution, and we can work together towards a mutually beneficial outcome. Hopefully this corrective feedback framework is helpful to you. And again, if you are curious in the entire course, I'll share a link to the show notes to my online course called What Great Managers Do Differently. Thank you for joining us this week. You can see links to Samantha's LinkedIn profile, her restaurant's website, all the books, courses, and links referenced today, everything we talked about really, in the show notes at figuringitoutpodcast.com slash six. By the way, if you missed it, Samantha also joined us in the previous episode, episode five, to talk about the differences between corporate and startup culture, as well as tips to silence your inner critic or that critical voice in your head. So if you've ever considered switching to a startup role, I'd highly recommend episode five. Now, before we go, I have a small favor to ask. I'm looking for new guests to interview in upcoming episodes of Figuring It Out. And it's important to me that I diversify into guests and topics that are beyond my own network. If you'd like to nominate a guest, or if you have an idea for a topic you'd like to hear more about in an upcoming episode, you can visit figuringitoutpodcast.com slash participate. Or you can email me directly at hello at figuringitoutpodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode about feedback and management with Samantha Koo. I'm Melissa Guller, and you've been listening to Figuring It Out. See you next week.